Welcome back in everyone to another fantastic episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Joining us today, we have the playwright and performer Roberto Ragone and the director Art Burnell. Both of them are involved in the upcoming production of The Purgatory Trial of Vito Marcantonio. It's playing October 4th and 15th at the ATA, the Sargent Theater, and tickets and more information are available by visiting eventbrite.com. This is incredible, especially because we've got this wonderful artist, Roberto, who is appearing in the legitimate production of this show, which is very exciting. So we're honored to have both of these artists on, and we'd like to now just welcome them here. So Roberto, are welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you very much. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you very much. Thank you. I am excited to have both of you here. I'm excited to be talking about this great show, this legitimate production that, Roberto, you are appearing in, you're starring in. I can't wait to know more. So why don't I start with you, Roberto, first on this and have you tell us a little bit about what this show, The Purgatory Trial of Vito Marcantonio, is about. Vito Marcantonio, he was a congressman, Congressman Vito Marcantonio of the 1930s and 40s. Uh, he, He was in office... Uh, from essentially from uh, 1935 to 1950, uh, except for a, a two-year period in between where he had lost and, and then was uh, re-elected again. So he was a, a congressman for uh, 14 years, and he was Fiorello LaGuardia's protege. So he was someone who I had encountered in my life, believe it or not, initially in 1986, in an African-American history class, because a college class, because uh, dating myself, of course, but uh, because of his opposition to the efforts he would make against uh, the poll tax and the lynchings. And so my first reaction was, you know, wow, look at this, you know, this advocate of civil, this Italian-American advocate of civil rights with this very cool name. And so I, I became very curious about him. And then he kept recurring in my life in a series of coincidences since 1986. And when I would tell people about those series of coincidences, at least two people said, oh, that's like the Celestine Prophecy, which was a, a book uh, back in the 90s about uh, someone experiencing coincidences towards a particular outcome and so on. And so I, one of those coincidences eventually led to a college friend who had invited me to a wedding in California who had, I had never would have expected to invite me to that wedding. I thought my mother was misreading the invitation when she got the invitation at her house because I thought the only person who could have the only person who could have possibly invited me to a wedding in California had had gotten married that year before, right? So this this is 1992 and I go to the wedding and the the day the evening before the wedding a bunch of us the the guys were taking out the groom we're all political junkies and we're kind of talking about politics. And the my friend, the groom, said, you know, when I get back from my honeymoon, I'm going to mail you this book about this Italian-American guy who would see his who would see a people directly about their problem before referring them to their, you know, to the staff for details. And I was convinced that the he was referring to a business person like this was a, a business management style. But then he says, Vito Marcantonio, and I said, you too. I mean, I've been getting these. I, I haven't even mentioned all of the coincidences to you, but I've, I've, I've had to, I've, I was had the opportunity to, to actually write up 
all of those coincidences for some of these written written articles, right? But uh, then he mails me the book, and and that's when I learned additional insights. Because it was a a book by Dr. Gerald Meyer, now the late Gerald Meyer, who's written this definitive book about Mark Antonio called Vito Mark Antonio, Radical Politician, 1902 to 1954. And that committed me to want to organize a big kind of event that was more academic in nature, right? Educational, academic. And then the event It was a small event. And I said, I want to have a bigger event. And then the bigger event got postponed. And then that became a multimedia event. And that attracted a 400, some people say 400 to 700 people at uh, Mark Antonio's alma mater at NYU. That was in 1998. And then uh, when when Gerald Meyer said, you know, we can't make this a one-off. We have to do things like, you know, we have to eventually get the the book of his speeches republished. We have to do more of the walking tours of Italian, you know, historical Italian Harlem and Barrio. And then when he said, when he said, and we need to, there's, there needs to be a play and a film, right? That's when I got triggered and I was barely, and I, at the time I was barely taking, you know, just some casual courses in theater. But then I said, this has to be, you know, my, I, this motivated me to go, you know, to go more in the direction of going into theater and into film and even saying to myself, if I could only do one project in that end in these industries, right, this would be the subject that I'd that I'd want to do. And then, you know, Art Burnell and I met in that same acting class, and then we started to collaborate on other things, and then it eventually would crescendo into this into working together on Mark Antonio. That is incredible. And you have piqued my interest all over the map. I want to bring on our lovely director, yes. Burnell, and I want to ask, you know, he mentioned that, you know, he introduced you to the piece while taking an acting class with you. What was it like coming upon this piece? What were your thoughts when you initially started reading the Purgatory Trial, Vito Marcantonio? Well, the, the thing is, there, there's a little bit of a backstory. Roberto and I have collaborated before. We have our little theater festival open to all, free to all. and one one of our little 10, 15 minute acts, unfortunately, was, wasn't able to perform. And we were, we were opening the next day. And in a panic, I asked Roberto, I said, look, you know, you're an expert on Vito Marcantonio. Can you give me a little 15 minute, you know, speech, a, a monologue, anything? Within 24 hours, Roberto came back with a 45 minute script. And we took a 45 minute script. I mean, we had to edit it down. But when I looked at it, I said, this is fantastic. Later on, I asked him to go ahead and expand it. He expanded it to an hour and 15 minutes. We performed it at an invitation-only event. It was a one-night event at the Producers Club. And we did it to get everybody's feedback. You know, professional actors, writers, you know, people that we knew, people that we trusted. End result was Roberto got a standing ovation. And it was at that point I realized we actually had something that we could take to an off-Broadway stage or an off-Broadway event. So that's how that happened. That is incredible. Yeah. If I could also add to that backstory is, is that the what's interesting is that, again, launching off from 1998 when Dr. Gerald Meyer put this idea in, and he wasn't necessarily thinking of me specifically, right? But over the time that he just, and, and at the time I, I just thought, yeah, I just want to create the marketplace. So somebody gets the script, but then eventually, again, I wanted to take, uh, the the bull uh, by the horn. 
So when when Dr. Gerald Meyer and I formed the Vito Marcantonio Forum, which was an organization to educate people about Vito Marcantonio, at that point, I had already kind of started, I had already written a full-length script, you know, for film or theater or both with dialogue and multiple characters. But at one of the events, he had said to me, and this kind of, this sort of precedes what Art was talking about. He said, you know what? You should, you know, when we, besides dramatizing Mark Antonio's speeches, you know, with the suit and you're wearing the fedora, why don't you actually, for this particular event, talk to the audience as though Mark Antonio has returned to the present day, right? And what's interesting about that suggestion is that if there's anybody who's got a, a, a loophole, Right. A loophole. You know, you're joking about the, the lawyer hat. Right. But if anybody who has kind of a loophole, a spiritual loophole to do that, it's Mark Antonio, because and this is the setup for the title of the story. Vito Mark Antonio is the only Catholic politician in American history who was denied a Catholic burial. Right. And so and again, and this is all in the 1950s. Right? He's eyes in 1954. So. It's 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 a rather dramatic because if you think about a good night and good luck, right, which is, happens in 1954, Edward R. Murrow is prepared. It has had his confrontation with uh, Senator McCarthy, right, and you see that in the film. It was a great film. It was I had a newfound respect for George Clooney when I saw that film. But so what's interesting is that that confrontation between Edward R. Murrow and Senator McCarthy happens, let's say, in April 1954, right? So then Vito Marcantonio, I don't know if he saw that program. I don't know if he ever commented on that program. But but it's interesting then that by June and July, he's he's staging his political comeback. And then he dies in August. So McCarthy was kind of on his way down, but the atmosphere still existed. So so uh, Cardinal Spellman denies Vito Marcantonio a Catholic burial. Now, I think some people try to be apologists. I think I've heard an apologist for Cardinal Spellman say, well, you know, he didn't really go to church every Sunday and everything. But no Italian men really did. The, the women were the keeper of the moral flame. But I think it was because Mark Antonio supported the like the First Amendment rights of a communist uh, to, even though he was not a communist himself, the First Amendment rights of the freedom of speech of, of communists, you know, and, and socialists and everybody else, you know, certainly peaceful uh, protests. And so in, be, in being denied a Catholic burial, right, He's in like it's it, traditionally speaking in traditional Catholic terms, in my view, there's this limbo, there's this purgatory. And so he gets to come back and I got to come back and talk to an audience at Gaetano's restaurant. And then when and then it's sort of like so when I had the go back in 98, oh, I'm going to write a script. I'm going to I think the the one man show, a one man show was not something that I had thought about at all until that. Thing until we did the performance at Gaetana's and then Art uh, made the request, oh, I'm a bind, uh, you know, I'd like you to be able to write something. And then it's like, you know, this is, a, this is Roberto, this is not 20 minutes. This is like, you know, this is like double that amount. And we're going to build on that in the future, but we're going to trim it down to 20 minutes for this, for the purpose of this particular production. And then it evolved and it's very, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. It, there's so many there are so many exceptional things about this person that it, that makes him such an unsung hero that my and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going on or not. But there's an element of in the 1990, 1998 event, there was this element. If you build it, they will come. There's this element of that 
uh, going on right now. So I'm very, I'm very, very excited about this. This piece just keeps getting more and more fascinating and more interesting. The the more you just keep adding these tidbits in, you know, I, oh, I have so many questions, but I'll have to come see the show to get them answered. Right. I mean, I, I'll tell you the, the things that he accomplished or tried to accomplish, let's say he might've failed to accomplish, but went on the record as supporting certain things that have now become part of the mainstream is absolutely fascinating. So I, I really think I really, you know, it's interesting also that they're one of the most interesting things are the, the evolution of Vito Mark Antonio on the internet, right? It, uh, where back in 98, when pre Google, but still the internet, maybe I might've, my event might've been the only thing on Vito Mark Antonio. Now there's all these things on Vito Mark Antonio and what's interesting is that in I th- I think there's also a sense of there there's almost like my experience has been that with the let's say African Americans and Latinos that they're there I remember this this gentleman who's passed away who in uh, 2002 we were both inv- involved with recycling I was working for the city of New York and we and we happened to get into conversation I talked to him about Mark Antonio and his uh, stances on civil rights and his reaction and this became the universal reaction that I was experiencing with many uh, African-Americans. Like, how come I've never heard of this guy? Like, I, they they felt like they were ripped off from not having uh, learned about this guy, right? And there were some Puerto Ricans who knew about his advocacy of, for Puerto Rico, but like older generation of Puerto Ricans, right? But, but what's interesting is that you fast forward, you know, and that the same African-American gentleman joined the Vito Marcantonio Forum and when we were trying to promote the 60th anniversary of Mark Antonio's uh, passing uh, at Wo- Woodlawn Cemetery, where he's buried, it was interesting. This it, the gentleman's name was Morgan Powell, right? He, the, he's passed away. So what he did was, at the very last minute, he convinced kind of the Bronx networks, right? They it's a cable show that is produced primarily by a by staff that are people of color, and and they they kind of like they took like I don't know. Who knew who he was? It's almost like they took his word for it. We got to fit this in, right? We got to fit this into the schedule. So Morgan, this, uh, the the host, whose name, I'm sorry, escapes me, but who's a person of color, they interview me, and they just kind of like, everybody seemed uh, 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 kind of mesmerized or happy that they were able to fit this in. And it's you're left, at, at the very least, with a certain a curiosity. So fast forward to 2020, Right. And I was doing, you know, the 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 uh, I was doing some background acting work and some the stuff kind of things kind of opened up a bit. So then we, we did a background acting thing. They weren't doing group rides yet. So some of us kind of shared an Uber and an, the African-American and a gentleman and his wife were sitting in the back. Right. They they knew the Uber guy, whatever. Right. And I said to him, we were talking about what were what our individual projects were, right? So now we've gone from 1998 to 2002 to 2020, 21, let's say, right? So I said, well, I'm doing this thing on Vito Marcantonio, and I don't, I don't suppose you know who he is. I'm not sure, right? So I, I never got a sense of whether the wife knew who he was, but the husband goes, oh, I know who he is. We, uh, he's on the curriculum of our community empowerment and community development workshops. So this is the evolution from 1998 to 2020. And so I think that this off-Broadway show is a way of really fanning out knowledge of uh, Mark Antonio. That all sounds amazing. I love, I love the passion and the background knowledge that you have of this piece. It's, 
It's absolutely fantastic. It really Thank is. You. Art, I do want to bring you back on. I want to ask as the director, what is the message or thought you're hoping the audiences will take away from the purgatory trial of Vito Marcantonio? There's multiple levels to that. The first one would be getting the art, entertaining the audience, reaching the audience emotionally, intellectually. And I don't want to use the word history lesson because that that kind of have that might actually have a, a negative connotation to it. But as a director, my the whole point is just to reach the audience and move them emotionally in some way, shape, form, or fashion for the uh, for the audience to connect with the character, with his story, with the passion that this politician had for for his constituents and for for America in 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 general. I just think as as a director, that's my job to actually get the audience to connect with them. I don't do abstract pieces uh, simply because it's, I just find it incredibly difficult for an audience to connect emotionally. But what Roberto has written is incredibly powerful. We did have rehearsals last night. And when Roberto finished the whole thing, everybody that was present erupted in spontaneous applause. So again, it's as a director, my, my point, my, my job is to make sure that the audience connects with the story, with the characters on multiple levels if possible. I love hearing that. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. If Thank I could you. add to that is that I was, I wanted to be off book as soon as possible. And now when people ask me how the rehearsals are going, I tell them that I, I'm using I, I'm using the Beatles Let It Be sessions as a metaphor for like now we're hunkering down and and actually getting into nuances about blocking and making sure that, you know, the right word is being used here and the right transition word is being. So we're really at a level that that we are, we're basically trying to get ready to perform, you know, on the rooftop uh, in London, right? The Peter Jackson, you know, documentary and so on. But the other thing is that what I think, everything that Art said regarding what we want people to take, but I also think that it's it's really an important opportunity to, to, to tell the story uh, about this unsung hero, right? And I think some people are curious because of the name, the person's name, and it's a, oh, it's a very interesting name. I, I think that there's two forms of a flyer, and the one that was designed by a gentleman, uh, Jason Stefano, who I'm collaborating with on other things, it was, was left people so curious. I don't know if you got that version of the flyer, but it's unbelievable, unbelievable. It almost, it almost speaks to, it almost does justice to the title, like the title should leave one curious, the title of the play, if if I do say so myself. But if there's anything that's going to compound your curiosity for the title, it's the flyer. And I think a version of that image is on Eventbrite when you go into Eventbrite. So that's another reason to go into Eventbrite to check out, but look into a shopping for a ticket. But again, I just think that the there's it goes back to this, you know, people uh, learning about him. And then even wanting to like feeling so inspired about how politician and the I studied public policy. And that's my other thing. And I worked in government. So to me, it's like so we used to have these look at case studies, case studies on leadership, case studies on, you know, best practices for something. Right. So he's like a case study on leadership. Right. If you want if you want people to support a, a loftier cause, it certainly would help if you actually help them with their day-to-day -day needs 
and you connect with them on a day-to-day level on their daily struggles, right? So, so sometimes it's kind of, it's, you know, when somebody, you know, when let's say a celebrity wants you to do, to take up a cause, a very lofty cause, but meanwhile, in their own backyard, let's say in Los Angeles, let's say there's a lot of homelessness, right? So what, well, what did you do to, to kind of like help your own backyard before you want the rest of us to eat vegan? You know what I mean? It's kind even if you're, even if you support veganism, right? So it's anyway, so I think that this raises the level of expectations that one should have from about leadership. That is, these are fantastic ideas. I'm loving this discussion. Great. Thank you. I want to wrap up this first half of the interview by asking who do you hope have access to your show? And Roberto, I'm going to start first with you on that. You know, what's interesting is that, well, first, I, it'd be I in an ideal world, right? The people who would uh, gain access to the show by information getting out there about the show are the demographic groups who basically were the beneficiaries of his advocacy. So, for instance, Italian Americans as a, a this positive portrayal that that we certainly need because there's plenty of stereotypes still out there in the way uh, they are portrayed. And his leadership in advocating for people of other backgrounds to the extent that Italians are portrayed as these kind of like reactionary racists that, you know, that from sort of like things that happened in the past, you know, including like confrontations and and conflicts in New York City in the past. But certainly African-American, I would like more of them to learn about the show. I, you know, I I got, there's one or two people that, I, it's like without my prodding, without my without my request, they they sent it off as a story, you know, on Instagram, you know, with an endorsement. This is going to be good, right? So it's almost like it's like a vote of confidence, a leap of faith. Certainly, the Latino community, especially the Puerto Rican community, uh, I'm hoping that they 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 go and and again, I think people who are working families who still can afford to go. Off off Broadway or off Broadway can say, "Wow, this is this is really something." And not to mention, by the way, not to mention, I'm sorry, this hasn't come up yet, but including Asian Americans in the sense that he was a real advocate for them. But you'll see that more from a foreign policy perspective. Since uh, I'll give you another one, Andrew, to leave you curious. He's the only representative in both houses of Congress who voted against the Korean War. So there you go, right? And voting his conscience. Art, I do want to wrap up the first part of the interview with you. Who do you hope have access to this show? Actually, just for for me, it would be the general public. For me, the general public is a good representation of everyone. I mean, young, old, whatever race, creed, color, beliefs. I think that this particular show, I mean, not to use a a phrase, has a little bit for everyone. I think that anybody that comes and sees this, regardless of where they come from or what they do, I think they're just, number one, they're going to enjoy the writing. Number two, they're going to enjoy the performance. Number three, they're really going to connect with the material and the storyline, all of it. And I think that just by reaching just a few people in the general public, that'll be enough to get people say, hey, I saw the show and it was about this politician I never heard about. It's based on a real story. And that'll actually get the ball rolling. If you just get people of the in general public interested, it kind of snowballs a little bit. For 
our second part of the interview. I love giving our listeners a chance to get to know our guests a little bit better. And I want to start with you, Art, and I want to ask what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? Oh, see, now I'm, I'm going to, I can really get into that, but the super short version of it is I was in my early 20s, I was working in the cinemas, and I saw Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. And there's this one particular scene where they're being chased by Nazis and the fighter pilot is driving, is flying his little Messerschmitt, and he chases them into a tunnel and he tears the wings off of his, of his fighter plane. And I was a projectionist at the time, and I'm watching this from the projection booth, and the matting on that was absolutely atrocious. I just, I, I've never seen anything so awful. And, I, and I, I'm in the projection booth, and I'm sitting there going, my God, I can't believe Spielberg would do, let something like that get to the general public. And I thought, even I could do something like that. And then the light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, oh my God, that's what I'm be in my director well no one ever told me how to go to film school no one ever says that so i was working in a projection booth and i thought well if film is this wonderful thing well what's underneath film television what's underneath television radio what what do you do if you're working to raise what's what's below that a projection booth oh my god i'm a projectionist i'm one quarter of the way there and so actually that's what got my career going into radio then into television fast forward i, I moved to new york because i wanted to attend nyu the film school Nobody told me it was a quarter of a million dollars. So that wasn't going to happen. A good friend of mine that I was working with, he suggested Empire State College, and it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. I, I got my degree in film studies. As I'm, I'm in the last course, the last semester, the last month before I graduate, and my my mentor, my counselor sits there and says, you know, if you really wanted to be a film director, you really should have studied theater. She literally waited until three weeks before I was supposed to graduate. I didn't know what to do. didn't know what to do. I got accepted into NYU's Gallatin program. And I was looking at their courses and a lot of them said, you know, theater prerequisite, undergraduate prerequisite in theater. And I decided to go back to school and get my second bachelor's in theater arts at Hunter College. It was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. The staff was fantastic. The professors were fantastic. Of course, I'm going to school with people that are young enough to be my children, but that in and of itself was absolutely wonderful. I had forgotten that when you're in your early 20s, you are 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And to spend four years with these kids was just a godsend. Hunter College has a great program, great theater arts program. You can take the directing classes. And that's when I discovered that I enjoy directing theater. So I actually have like this dual passion now. So if you ask me, you know, what my what inspires me is to work with actors, regardless of whether it's film or theater, it doesn't matter, to be in the presence of actors and watching the creativity. And basically, if you look at a script, it's nothing more than ink on paper. But that ink is turned into words. The words is turned into a story. And if you give it to an actor and say, what do you think? Who do you think this person is? It is one of the most amazing journeys anyone can have. So it's for me, directing is not this 
oh, I have a vision, I have this, I have that. It is about watching the actors bring a story to life. It is is one of the most amazing things. I have done multiple off-off-Broadway shows. This is my first off-Broadway show. But I... It's just been absolutely, it's a, it's a journey. It is an absolute wonderful journey. So if you're asking about other professional directors and writers, of course, you know, I'm very fond of the classics, Tennessee Williams, uh, Eugene O'Neill, Arthur Miller. But I think to me, the most important thing is the process, watching something come alive and referring to Roberto again, you know, we started rehearsals. I tend to have collaborative rehearsals where everybody's opinion is valid. All ideas and suggestions are welcome. And as we went through the process, you know, we would tweak this and we would tweak that. And what about this? And what about that? You know, can you do this? Can you do that? And just to watch it come alive. And like I said, last night's rehearsal was, was amazing. And to have you know, everyone present just erupt in applause when I yelled out the phrase, you know, and fade to black. It's, 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 it's magical. That is so wonderful. That is a wonderful answer. Fabulous list. And, you know, both of you, I can't wait for your books to be coming out. These are incredible stories. And that leads me to want to ask my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? I try to go to Broadway whenever I can. Obviously, this was pre-COVID, but there was this one particular play. It was called A Steady Rain, and it had Hugh Jackman in it and Daniel Craig. And they did a play called they did a play together called A Steady Rain. And it's two actors, two chairs, an empty stage, no microphones, no uh, props, no images of any kind. And if you're familiar with the story, if you're not familiar with the story, it's basically two cops from Chicago, and one of them, they're partners, and one of them commits a crime, and the other one has to go hunt him down. And they take turns telling the story of their friendship, of their past, of what happened, and how it ends. It sold out. The entire run sold out. I was lucky enough to get a seat way in the back underneath a leaky pipe. And it was wonderful. The reason I'm saying this is because as they told their story, the theater was absolutely silent. I mean, if you took everybody out, it it, it wouldn't be that silent. And when it was done, when they finished for a split second, I, I kind of got out of the spell. I looked to my left and I looked to my right. And every grown man in the theater was crying. It is one of the most amazing stories of friendship, of duty, obligation, pain, suffering. If you even want to throw in the word betrayal, it was just one of the most amazing experiences ever. Again, two actors, two chairs, no no backdrop, no scenery, no set props, no microphones, two actors connecting with an audience that left everyone speechless. If you ever get a chance to see any of my off-off-Broadway stuff, I basically follow the same formula. There is that there is a movement in theater now to be very, very minimal, minimalistic when it comes to set design. And I think that that's a really good thing to do because if you do that, then you focus on the actors and the story as opposed to 
looking at stage left or stage right. Oh, isn't that a beautiful you know, chair? Isn't that a, oh, look at, uh, what is that? I don't know what that is. Oh my God, what is that? And you distract your audience. But to have our set design for Roberto's play is just him, a bare stage, Roberto speaking to the audience and becoming these different characters. And to me, if you do something like that, the audience, I hate to say it this way, but it's basically forced to look at the character, look at the actor, and really connect with the storyline. And at that point, it just becomes a wonderful moment between storyteller and audience. And it is something a person will remember for years to come, if not the rest of their life. That is incredible. What a memory and what a what insight to follow. Thank you so much for that. Roberto, how about you? What is your favorite theater memory? Well, you know, what's interesting is that because it, it can't help but think that my favorite, favorite theater memory was pertained to the execution of a moment uh, on stage by the production value, right? So what I mean by that is that, this, now I'm going way back in the 90s, but I remember watching Phantom of the Opera, right? And there's a scene where the Phantom is in a, a rowboat and there's fog, right? And there's the, I believe there's the bridge there. And I thought there was water under there. Like, how did they make it seem like he's, you know, rowing this boat in a fog. And I said, I can't believe this can be done on stage, right? And then in more recent years, when I saw the heights, right? And I could actually, it's an interesting tie-in to this show. My, this, there was this moment in the heights, right? So there's a Latino lady who's like the old timer on the block, right? She's the one with all the institutional memory of the past, right? And everybody... You know, if there's anybody who kind of transcends all of the little conflicts among people there, it's her. Right. And she sort of reflects on the past on the 1930s and 40s. Right. And it's interesting. I kind of get choked up on this one. But she, she says, and I danced with Fiorella LaGuardia. Right. And the guy, the actor who plays the role of, you know, the uh, flavored ice guy with the car. Right. In the story. Right. In present day. They, when everything becomes a silhouette, like kind of like Art Deco, you know, film noir, 1930s type thing, he becomes, his silhouette becomes Fiorella LaGuardia. I'm like, oh my God, it's Fiorella LaGuardia, right? And she's dancing with Fiorella LaGuardia. I thought that that, that in fact, that moment told me that a Lin-Manuel Miranda would have a certain sensitivity, like a certain sensitivity and awareness. I'm thinking of another word, but it's not coming to me. About three, that he would somehow be able to execute just from that silhouette of a Fiora LaGuardia. And then he went on to do Hamilton, right? It's, it was, But those were Phantom of the Opera and that uh, moment in the Heights are among my, my favorite uh, moments of observing theater. Another set of fantastic memories. That is wonderful. Thank you both for sharing those. Those are wonderful. Thank and the you, last little yes. bit that you. we have together, I want to just really quickly ask, are there any other projects or productions either of you have coming in the pipeline we might be able to plug for you? Well, right now, my, my focus has been on uh, film primarily. And so this, this has been a, a very happy return to theater after focusing on film. But we, I have just the. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. There, there's a, one. Here's one interesting thing: is I wrote a, I wrote a comedy uh, called uh, Bromance Aroni, 
right? This I hope this counts as an answer to your question. But and it won art directed it. I wrote it, and I'm one of the characters. And it was based on my experiences uh, with a friend of mine. Three different experiences, kind of becoming a composite, and, and it uh, makes fun of my own uh, frustrations with uh, Murphy's Law. And I described it as a an Italian-American combination of Woody Allen, Seinfeld, The Odd Couple with elements of Abbott and Costello and Bugs Bunny, right? Like a little Bugs Bunny moment. And that comedy won Best Production at the Midtown International Theater Festival in 2017. Jay Michaels was publicist for that festival. So kind of a weird coincidence that we're working together again on this, because since he's published, he's the publicist for, you know, the purgatory trial. But I have just made that in one best production. I've just made it into a film. Right. And where it, it won the best trailer at the Vesuvio Film Festival. It was sort of showing at the Paris Liftoff Film Festival it was accepted there until September 25th. So at this point, what I would like to do is promote that. I do have a film short on Vito Marcantonio. That is a scene from one of my from one of my full length films called The Final Covenant of Vito Marcantonio, which involves a particular argument that he and LaGuardia have. And that that was also in the Paris Liftoff Festival and the Vesuvio Festival. So I hope to advance that. And again, dig through 20 of my scripts and go, you know, uh, what would be good for theater? What would be good for film? What would be good for both? Very cool. Art, anything for you? Actually, nothing specific. I'm I'm in my journey right now of directing theater. I am a one of eight resident directors at the American Theater of Actors. I'm actually, there are several playwrights that do seek me out, uh, a few actors that do seek me out. So whenever I get a chance to direct, I try to direct whenever I can. That is my passion. And just kind of go on from there and we'll see what, what the future brings. But nothing actually specific that I could cite. I'm just having fun when I can. That is incredible. My final question for the two of you is if our listeners would like more information about the purgatory trial of Vito Marcantonio or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you. How can they do so? So to contact me directly, you can go to my LinkedIn page. My email address is located there. It also has the listing of my own production company, which is called Work of Art Productions. I'm still in the process of trying to get a website. Uh, up and running for that. I did have one for a while, but it just didn't work out very well. But yes, yes, you can reach out to me personally on LinkedIn. You'll see my link there to my email. You're more than welcome to reach me there. And as far as the purgatory trial of Vito Marcantonio, you can actually just, like I said, go to Eventbrite and you can get information there. Roberto will be performing every single night. I will be there on the weekends and people can just stop on by and just say hello and, you know, just reach out to us that way. Roberto, what about you? My my Instagram seems to be the easiest thing that the people can do. They could follow me, uh, Roberto Ragone 5. R- Roberto is Robert with an O. Ragone is R-A-G-O-N-E and the number five. And I, I think my, my email address is ragone.enterprises at gmail.com. Yes. Thank you both for taking the time today to speak with me about this incredible show. This has been an amazing conversation. I much appreciate it. So thank you both. Thank you.
My guests today have been the playwright and performer Roberto Ragone and the director Art Burnell, who were part of the show The Purgatory Trial of Vito Marcantonio. Roberto will be appearing in this legitimate production of the show, and it's playing October 4th through the 15th at the ATA Sargent Theater. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting eventbrite.com. We also have some contact information for our guests, which we'll be posting in our social media posts as well as on our episode description. But right now, get your tickets at eventbrite.com for this great show, The Purgatory Trial of Vito Marcantonio, playing October 4th through the 15th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, And keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. And the lights of old Broadway, Paris, where I don't care.